chapter 22, and let's look uh, in verse, uh, let's see where I forgot, forgot my reference, Acts chapter 21 actually, and start in verse 30, Acts chapter 21, and we'll start in verse 30. And uh, <clears throat> I did let you out last week a little early because a storm was coming, and Brother Champion told me that there's a, another potential thunderstorm coming at 8 o'clock tonight. I told him he better be quiet. I didn't want to have a reputation letting you all out early for church all the time. And, uh, and, and uh, Sister Natalie Fears got the answer right, and I was going to bring her a Butterfinger. I, actually, I was going to have a good time with that. I was going to buy three of them, and I was going to give her one, and I was going to keep two of them. And uh, she told me last Wednesday night after church that she didn't need a Butterfinger and uh, please not to go buy her one. And so I, I did, not, did not do that. So, but let's look at Acts chapter 21 and let's look in verse 30. The Bible says, And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul, and they drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band, and all Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing, some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. And when he came upon the stairs, so it was, and he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying away with him. And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee, who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Art thou not that, art not thou that Egyptian which before these days madest an uproar and ledest out into the wilderness four thousand men that were murderers? But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. And so we're going to pick up where we left off last uh, Wednesday night, and we were talking about that there are times where uh, that there uh, can and will be people uh, that, that are willing to create problems and difficulties uh, in uh, situations like this and even the, con the confines sometimes even uh, within a church and I read several verses there 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3 and again I think that sometimes when we look at the modern day apostolic church especially us and we look back at the book of Acts we kind of have a view that we think that everything was just wonderful fantastic and there was all sorts of just uh, miracle signs, wonders, great evangelism and all that sort of thing that was taking place 
uh, during that period of time. However, when you read through the book of Acts and you look at it with an honest view, you have to realize that there were a lot of challenges that the apostles and that those saints there in the early church that they uh, had to face. And so here are some of the things uh, that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 3 and 3. He says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are, you yet, are ye not carnal and walk as men? And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 20, For I fear, lest when I would come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall find unto you such as you would not, lest there be debates and envings and wraths and strifes and backbitings and whisperings and swellings and tumults. And then in Philippians chapter 4, uh, he was talking to, uh, to, there were two ladies in the church uh, there that were really creating a lot of calamity. And he says in Philippians 4 and 2, he said, I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, Paul addresses some of the issues that Timothy was facing there uh, in Ephesus, 1 Timothy 6, 4. He is proud knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings. And then in James chapter 3 and verse 16, he writes it like this. He says, well, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. And then 3 John verse 9, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. And so again, and I, I don't know, I can't remember if I did mention it or not, but Diotrephes is a very, um, if you can get in and, and just do a Bible study, a, a, a biographical Bible study uh, on the character of Diotrephes, he's kind of obscure. Uh, he's a man that we don't really know a whole lot about except to say that he was a man that, de that desired uh, preeminence. He wanted to be elevated. He wanted to be exalted. Uh, there was another man by the same token that was uh, spoken of by John in his epistles and he mentions his name is Demetrius. Demetrius was the exact opposite of what Diotrephes was and we see that spirit even today. Uh, even uh, I would just say again that there is a desire sometimes for a preeminence or an exaltation of flesh to take place uh, in even in modern day apostolic churches. It can take place in organizations. It can take place in districts. It can take places in a section and there's times where that even in a local church you can have these sorts of personalities to start uh, to try to work. And yet whenever we look at that, uh, we have to realize that, that in a local church setting or even uh, particularly I guess for us it would be like a district setting that there's times where the, the reputations of, of people uh, that have been destroyed uh, and that there is a, a place where that uh, those people are no longer able to influence other people in their walk for God. I want to just 
tell you this, Brother Enzi uh, really harped on, I say harp, that's not the right expression. He said this a number of times uh, to us whenever we were at TBC, and Brother Patterson uh, even said this to me uh, numerous times as well, the same principle, and that's this. Brother Enzi would always tell us that time is on your side. And I, I meant, some of you have heard me say this before, but I always thought that what that meant was was that whenever you think time's on your side to, to take your time and don't jump in, especially if you're a young man or a young person, uh, to, to you know, make some foolish decision because you still have time uh, to make right and proper decisions. I've also discovered that there is another thing that works as well whenever you understand that time is on your side and that's this, that as time goes along that what you do with your life or even a church that you're able to outwalk any of the things that is thrown against you, uh, things that are, that are hurled in your direction that you keep walking and you stay faithful because time reveals to us a lot of things about who people are and what they are about. And so I, I just again here tonight to tell you to be faithful on, at the same, um, on the same uh, sense, wavelength, whatever you want to call it. <coughs> we are in a day where everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And right now there is a lot of things that are being shook up. And I just would encourage all of you here to not lock into the church, lock in to your relationship with God because it is important right now that all the pressure, do y'all feel pressure? You feel that pressure? I think every one of us, if you're honest, you, you feel that. You feel the squeeze. I don't know that we're ever going to go back to normal again. I think that this is just the way things are, that we're in that part. We feel a lot of pressure right now, and that is because of the spiritual battle uh, that's taking place. You remember there was a spiritual battle going over Job's head. He didn't know what uh, all it was going about. Uh, but, but there are times whenever and, and some of the situations where that uh, churches have allowed themselves, local churches that have allowed themselves to get caught up in places where that either they are now a shell of what they used to be or they are no longer in existence. And there are churches tonight that are no longer in existence that used to be powerful apostolic churches and it grieves me uh, at times to realize that these churches have fallen into that matter of the conflict and that they have launched themselves and that's what the Jews were doing. They had launched themselves against the apostle Paul and outside of the providence and the sovereignty of God, they would have killed Paul right there. Now if you look there, if you've got those notes there on page five, uh, Paul is, is, is not removed from the Temple Mount. Now that picture that I've got uh, that's there, I got that out of Brother Chad, that's out of Logos Bible software. So uh, he recently purchased that and there's a lot of bells and whistles on it. If you're not familiar with, you may not know that that's there, but that's where that, that uh, came from. Uh, but if you look at this four, the, the inside the walls here, the Temple Mount, 
uh, was an area that covered right at 35 acres. And whenever Jesus was in Matthew 24, 25, the Olivet Discourse in Mark 13, and then in portions of Luke chapter 21, you remember whenever Jesus said that, the, that these stones that you see, these pillars, these columns, the beauty of this place, it's gonna come to nothing and it's gonna be flattened. And Jesus prophesied that somewhere 33, 34 uh, AD. It took 35 years, but this is the Temple Mount that Titus came in and literally, I mean, he decimated it whenever he came in to uh, the city uh, of Jerusalem in, in 70 AD. And, and yet here is Paul. Paul was inside the temple area that's there in that center part and what they did was they made sure that the temple guards, they would have been very proactive and they would have said, you know what, we're not gonna let a man die or blood be shed in here on this temple. So what did they do? They threw him outside. Now if you see that number 11 right there in the uh, front, you go in through that where it says the Shoshan Gate and then right inside you see that number 11. That is the gate beautiful. Uh, that is where in Acts chapter three, remember Peter and John came in and there was a man that was sitting there that was a beggar. He was a crippled man and the Bible tells us he was begging and he was wanting alms and Peter looked at him and said, silver and gold have I none but such as I have give I in the name of Jesus Christ rise up and walk. That's where that miracle took place. So whenever Paul begins to come under the pressure, they threw him outside so that all of these people could get their hands on him to try to destroy him. Now if you remember whenever Jesus cleansed the temple, Inside of this area was where all of the money changers were and they had set up places where that they were selling sacrifices so that whenever you came in, that, that even if you brought your sacrifice, then they would say, this is not acceptable, this is not, you know, so you're gonna have to buy one from us because yours is not acceptable. And Jesus was furious about that and the Bible says he started kicking over the money changers' tables and, and uh, he braided a whip and began to beat those guys. All of that uh, took place outside in those courtyard areas where that they were, they basically had turned into just a place of, of corruption. And so what happens is, is while Paul is there, uh, and, and the Bible tells us in Acts, look in verse 32 there, uh, the Bible says, who immediately, here's, there's a rescue that's gonna take place, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down into them, and when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating a Paul. And then the chief captain came near, and the word there for chief captain lets us know that this man was in charge of at least a 1,000 soldiers. And if you look up toward the northeast area of the temple there and you see that what's identified as the Antonia Fortress, that is where that the majority of these thousand men were, 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 that they were taken care of. So again, and I know that picture looks small, but think about this. This is sitting on about a 35-acre area. And so that's much, I don't know how big the, the fairgrounds are down at the Peanut Festival, uh, but it was a very significant place and this area was able to have a thousand Roman soldiers 
uh, that were there. And so the chief captain came near, verse 33, and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing and, and some another uh, among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle and when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of soldiers because of the violence of the people, for the multitude of people followed after him, crying away with him. I did mention, I think, last Wednesday night that 30 years prior to that, the same words were being said about Jesus and that, that they, wanted, they, they wanted to kill him as well. And now Paul has become a man so that the Lord has worked so much in his life that now Paul is even almost a replica of what the Lord Jesus Christ is, and they're wanting to kill him too. But again, it's by the providence and the sovereignty of God that those soldiers step in there and they take control of the situation and they protect Paul. And I, I want to just uh, hear, hear again uh, tonight to, to, I know I uh, frequently I <clears throat> preach that your life is a vapor. It's very short. It's, it's, it's not going to be uh, very long before your life is over with. And, and uh, you may get tired of me saying that, but I hope that it connects that we have to understand that our life is very short. However, I want you to understand this as well. The Lord has sovereign control over every one of our lives and he's the one that determines the number of our days. And you may feel like I'm in a situation now where I'm not gonna live, I'm not gonna make it, I'm not gonna whatever. The Lord has designated the exact number of days for your life, we need to trust in the Lord. We need to believe that the Lord has placed us where we're at. And you know what? I don't know how I'm going to go. I don't know if it's going to be a heart attack or a stroke or what. I don't know what it's going to be. But I do know this. The Lord has designated the time of my death. And I need to make sure that I know and believe that up to that point that there's nothing that can come in to my life that's gonna stop and is gonna hinder what the Lord has done. And I, I know that all of us have been touched uh, by people, this plague that came along and, and everything has taken place and sometimes people question the Lord, why this and et cetera. But I want you just to know that before, before eternity, the Lord knew exactly, none of this has caught the Lord off guard. He is very much aware of every bit of this that has come on our world. And so what does he need for us to do? To be faithful and to be confident. And, and yet it just so happens here in Paul's situation, uh, and there were a number of times, and I, I, this comes to mind, I want you to turn uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I've read this probably hundreds of times uh, to, to you as a church, but, but I want you again to connect up. Look in verse 23, 2 Corinthians 11 and chapter 23. Here are some of the things that the apostle Paul goes through. He, he's got some in 2 Corinthians, he basically is defending uh, his role as an, as a, as an apostle. 
and as a teacher and missionary, and here's what he's saying. He said, are they ministers of Christ? He says, I speak as a fool. What he's saying is, is that it's foolish for me to even to defend myself. He said, however, he said, I'm gonna defend myself. And he said, are they ministers of Christ? He said, I'm gonna tell you. He said, I am more. He said, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. You think about that one verse right there. That five times that the apostle Paul endured a beating. And this was not just a, I mean, these, these guys were serious about what they were doing. Now, some, in fact, you can read history. There's a lot of them that did not even survive the beating. And the apostle, that just in that one verse, he said five times received our 40 stripes. I want to tell you this. I'm going to be embarrassed when I get to judgment. And the Lord's going to look at me and said, you let this little thing stop you. You let this little thing hinder you. from You let this little whatever. And look at the apostle Paul. I want us to grasp that here tonight. And I want you to get that sense of perseverance and get something in your spirit that says, we're going on. No matter what comes, no matter what goes, we're pressing on. Look in verse three. Three times was I beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. Three times suffered shipwreck. Can you imagine the terror? I would be terrified. I mean, think about it. I can't swim, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and you're out there in the middle of the ocean and you read about the shipwrecks and Luke records them. And you are out there in the middle of the Mediterranean and you are, the ship is tearing apart and you're holding on to a piece of wood. You, you, you think about that for a minute. Your feet can't touch the bottom. And Paul, he said, I was suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils or dangers of waters, of robbers, of mine own countrymen, by the heathen, in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, by false brethren. I've been weary and I have had pain. I've watched often. I've had hunger and thirst. There's been fastings in cold and nakedness and beside these things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who's weak and I'm not weak. Who is offended and I don't get offended. But if I must needs glory, I will glory in the things which concern mine infirmities. Think about that. We glory a lot of times in, in our success. We glory, we're like, oh, I moved into a new house. Oh, I got a new car. Oh, I got a promotion at my job. Oh, I've had this bonus to come in. I've had this accomplishment to take care of my life. And yet Paul was saying, he said, if I'm gonna glory in anything, I'm gonna glory in my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, he knows that I'm not lying. 
In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, he kept the city of the Damascans with a garrison. He was desirous to apprehend me, and through a window in a basket, I was let down by the wall, and he escaped his hands. You remember last Wednesday night, I said, let's go around to the medical center, and let's get on the sixth floor, let's open the window up, let's put you in a basket, and me and Brother Robert and Brother uh, Joe and Brother Mullen we're going to hang on to that and we're going to let you down. 60 feet. <laughs> How many of y'all would be willing to get in that basket? You'd be like, oh my Lord, I'd be terrified of that too. But think about it. The sixth floor of the medical center and you're being let over a wall. You're like, oh my Lord, I hope those guys, I hope this rope doesn't break. I hope the basket doesn't give way. Paul was a brave man. And then he goes on in chapter 12. That's why they were trying to kill him. Now when you think about the chaos of the riot that was taking place there, go back in your mind, what was it, a year ago now? Ten months ago, all the riots that were going on here in the United States and all those cities being devastated and people throwing stuff and just out of their minds. It was a similar situation that was right here that was taking place. <clears throat> and yet when you look at that word in verse, look in Acts 21, if you still have your Bible, look back there in verse 30 and notice what the Bible says. You see where it says they took Paul and then skip down to verse 33. It says, and took him. That was not them just going up and just kind of putting their hands on him. The word that's used there literally means they seized him violently and grabbed him to take him away from these people that were beating him. That's the kind of, that's the kind of, and think about, you've you got Roman soldiers and they're dressed up in all their paraphernalia. That, that Brother Jonathan was preaching about Sunday morning, the helmet, the breastplate, the belt, shoes, uh, all of that. And they reach in and they grab the apostle and they rip him away uh, from those people there. Now, Luke does not leave out, it's almost a minute detail, but in verse 33, it says he's bound with two chains which fulfills the prophecy that was early spoken by Agabus in verses 10 and 11. And, and the fact is, is that Luke tells us uh, that, that all the while that they're doing this, what are they doing? They're trying to get information. Who are you? What are you doing? What are you about? And so we get to verse 37. The Bible says there, when they start asking him questions, and as Paul was led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, can I speak unto you? Who, who responded back, can you speak Greek? Are you not that Egyptian which before these days made an uproar and led out into the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers? But Paul said, I'm a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I beseech you, allow me to speak unto the people. And when he had given him license or permission, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto him and the Pete. And when he heard, and when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, and we'll get into that part next Wednesday night. But while Paul is being herded into that fortress that's there, 
he speaks to that chief captain. He says, hey, I want to talk. Can I talk to these people? Well, when he brings up this part about this Egyptian that took 4,000 people, and there were 4,000, they were called Sicarii, and these men were, were literally, they, they were assassins. And the way they worked, uh, they got their name uh, because they carried daggers. And what they would do was they would get into a large group of people, and as they were in that large group of people, they would take that dagger, and then they would work that dagger, and they would stab and kill somebody, and then they would slip away and just disappear, and that's how these people worked. Well, uh, this Egyptian, uh, during that period of time, uh, started working, and what he did was all of these people were trying to battle against the Roman rule. They, they did not like the oppression. Uh, they did not like the, the part where the, the Romans had, had locked down on them, and so this man comes along, and he begins to, he, he's somewhat of a religious leader, and he comes along and he takes a group of people to the Mount of Olives and he begins to tell them that he's gonna speak in such a way where that the walls of Jerusalem would fall on his command and that the Romans were gonna be driven out. Well, before all that could happen, this man created an insurrection and they killed a number of Roman troops and then after they killed them, then they slipped out into the wilderness and were gone. Now, I can't remember the title of the book, but Brother Nagler gave me a book several months ago. And the title of that book, I can't remember the author, but the title of the book was called Twelve Caesars. And uh, when you read that book, you realize the corruption. I mean, if you think our, our government officials are corrupt, they pale in comparison to what the Roman emperors, I mean, these men were like gods. And whatever they wanted, they took. Whatever lifestyle that they wanted to live, immoral as all as they could be, and yet they were the ones that were in charge and in control. And so it was, the Bible tells us, well, history tells us rather, uh, that these men slipped off in to the wilderness, and if you're curious about even some of it, Josephus mentions some of that in some of his writings where he, he talks about uh, this event that actually took place and these guys slipped away. Well, again, they were called the Sicarii. If you remember, Judas, the Bible tells us that Judas was who Judas Iscariot. And if you remember, all of the gospel writers, in fact, Luke calls him a traitor. Uh, Mark, Matthew and Mark just talk about him being he betrayed, but Luke talks about the fact that he was a traitor. A lot of, I say a lot, some Bible scholars feel like that Judas either had family or friends that were involved in this group that had been involved, the, the, the Sicari, kind of like a, uh, the mafia, if you want to call them like that. And whenever Judas began to follow the Lord, the longer he followed the Lord, he was really believing that Jesus was going to create a political insurrection and that he was going to come along and he was going to overthrow the political kingdom and once he began to realize that Jesus was not going to do that, 
That's whenever he started moving toward betraying the Lord. And there are a number of Bible scholars that feel like that that was one of the reasons that Judas betrayed the Lord. Now, I want to take a, chase, chase a little bit of a rabbit here. And, and that's this. Is there are times whenever we serve the Lord um, and we have, I'm not going to say you, I'm going to just say me. There's times where I have had expectations of the Lord that I thought the Lord's going to take care of this and he's going to work it out in this way and he's going to take care of it in that manner and everything's just all going to work out the way that I'm anticipating and everything's just all going to be rosy and wonderful and fantastic. If we're not careful, we can allow ourselves to fall into that trap that Judas fell into and what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 to John the Baptist, he said, he said I, I want you to be careful that you don't become offended in me and that whenever I get you in a situation where that you feel like that it may or may not turn out according to the way you think it ought to turn out, be careful that you don't allow yourself to be offended. That's what happened to John the Baptist. John the Baptist began to question, is this really the Messiah? Is this really the one that we look at as the Messiah? Why was that? It's because he got disappointed. He got disappointed in the way that things were working out. Well, why did he get disappointed? Because he was locked up in a prison. And the Bible tells us that it wasn't too long before uh, that Herod took his head off and, I mean, beheaded him and in the process of all of that, John the Baptist began to question and began to wonder, is this really the Messiah? There will be times that you will have those same moments in your life. And you will say, Lord, if you are Lord of lords and King of kings, then why am I in this prison? I want to tell you about a book if I could make you read it, <laughs> I would make you read it. I think Sister Renee has read this book. Gene uh, Edwards, everybody ought to read this book. Everybody ought to read A Tale of Three Kings. It's only a little book. It's about 100 pages. I remember, I remember the night that this, the exact, it was October of 1996, and I, I got Brother Patterson taught a Wednesday night Bible study and I come home from church on a Wednesday night, and I'm just telling you, I thought the world was as black as it could be. And I thought, what in the world is going on? Teresa got home, and uh, well, we went, got home, we got the kids down. And uh, I'd had that book for some time. I remember one of the ministers, brother, uh, I think it was Brother Will Banks up in Eva, had told me I needed to read. <clears throat> that book but in October of 96 after uh, the kids were in the bed and Teresa uh, had gone to bed I remember going into that front room into our den at our house and I picked up that book it's only about 100 pages and I started reading that book and literally could not put it down so it's a book that catches you at the right time and it's the story of David and it's the story of Saul and Absalom and it has an incredible spiritual lesson in it, but Gene Edwards wrote that book. He also wrote another little book, and this is the one that I think Sister Renee 
Uh, it's called The Prisoner in the Third Cell. And it's a story about John the Baptist. And that's whenever it gets to the place where that things don't work out in your life the way you think they ought to work out. And that book deals with those particular emotions that you feel whenever all of that is, is taking place. And I want to tell you, it's easy to be faithful to the Lord when everything, when the sun is out, when the tulips are blooming, when the daylilies are blooming, when the birds are singing, and you've got the world by the tail. It is easy to serve the Lord during that period of time. But there are times in our lives whenever things start blowing cold and the leaves are stripped off of the trees and our hearts get into a place where we feel like, God, where are you at? Paul very easily could have been in that place except the sovereignty of God saved this man. Now be careful and I say this to myself as much just as I wish this place was packed here tonight. That the words that, that don't let yourself fall into the trap of Judas and just because things do not, because Jesus didn't set up a political kingdom and take care of everything Judas thought he was supposed to do. I got a feeling when we get to heaven that we're going to realize that some of the crosses we had to bear in our lives and some of the thorns that we had to endure are going to be the things that absolutely saved us. And right now you fight with the thorns. The weight of the cross is something that you want to throw off he will say, oh dear God, I'm dying right now. I can't handle this. I cannot deal with this situation that is pressing into my heart and into my spirit. But the Lord knows. And the Bible tells us that at that moment that the right man showed up and saved the Apostle Paul. Now I wanna, wanna just bring it up and this, we are gonna get done early. Um, I'm going to get a bad reputation, Brother Champion. Uh, but I, I, I want you to know this. We'll pick up on the defense. But the continuing lesson all throughout the life of Paul is this, is that God's in charge. He's in charge. The older I get, the more I appreciate some of the old hymns and some of them we don't sing. I do a wonderful job singing them when I buy myself. Uh, this is not a song that we sing here, but it was written in 1867 by a man by the name of Walter Chalmers Smith. Immortal, invisible, God only wise expresses the character of God in every situation that we face. Immortal, invisible, God only wise in light that's inaccessible is hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. Unresting, unhasting, that means he's not in a hurry. And he's solid as light. He's not wanting or wasting, thou rulest in might. 
Thy justice like mountains high soaring above, thy clouds which are fountains of goodness and love. To all life thou givest, to both great and small. In all life thou livest, the true life of all. We blossom and flourish as leaves on a tree and wither and perish, but nothing changes thee. Great Father of glory, pure Father of light, your angels adore thee, all veiling their sight. All praise we would render, oh, help us to see, tis only the splendor of light that hideth. Thee. And the Lord is working in our behalf. He's working in the behalf of the Apostle Paul. He's working in our behalf as well. And there's times when we strain and fret and push against every restraint. We push against our circumstances. Sometimes we can fall into the category of trying to fight with people. And yet by the sovereignty and the nature and the grace of God, God says, I've got you right there where I want you. And I'm going to shape you. I'm going to help you. And I'm going to live out my purpose in your life. I pray that these, these notes and this Bible study here tonight has just been, pray has been an encouragement to you. Look to the Apostle Paul. If the Lord took care of him, he can take care of us. Now we stand here tonight. Let's thank the Lord for his goodness in our lives. Lord, we are thankful for your goodness, for your greatness. I know, Lord, that God, that little prayer that we pray sometimes, God is great, God is good. Lord, don't let us somehow, Lord, a child's prayer. And yet, Lord, there is so much grace and power Lord, that is in that fact that you are good to us. I pray, Lord, tonight that every circumstance, that, and Lord, I don't know the details of everything that, that people are facing, Lord, here tonight and even outside, Lord, of our church, but I pray, God, that somehow that you help us to be faithful, Lord, to you and that you let our lives, God, how sh somehow shine, Lord, the brightest, Lord, in the darkest set of circumstances, that our lives, God, bring glory to your yes, name. That yes, our spirits, God, somehow bring encouragement, Lord, to others. As God, we all walk, Lord, our own paths, Lord, to the celestial city. I pray, Lord, tonight, God, that you keep your hand on us. Lord, where there are concerns, God, I know that there are some, God, concerned for their health. I pray, Lord, tonight, help us, God, to put our trust and confidence in you in that. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to know that you meet every need that we have. And that, Lord, that there is a glorious reward that waits on every one of us if we are faithful, God, to our call. I pray, Lord, that you would bless here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Thank you for coming to church. Rally Friday night, 7.30 in Enterprise, and then uh, Saturday morning at 9 o'clock workday, and then invite somebody to church.